Okay, if you would please turn to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6, I'll be reading Ephesians 6 verses 18 through 20. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Blessed is the reading of God's holy word to our minds, to our hearts, to our souls, to our affections, through the Apostle Paul. Father, as Serge prayed, cause me to represent the intended meaning accurately. Cause me to help us apply it to our lives and work work here work now in our midst by your Holy Spirit who indwells us who believe save those who don't mold comfort instruct those of us who do to the glory of your name Amen we've been in the armor of God for eight weeks now and this morning what we're learning is we can put on all of it every piece of it have the sword in our hand, the Word of God in our mouth, and yet the battle against Satan and demonic forces and our own sinful inclinations will be lost. Unless all of these pieces are applied in our lives with prayer. That's the structure of this passage. Here it is, the large forest of it. Paul, he says, stand firm. And then he tells us how. Putting on this piece, that piece, this piece, that piece. Stand firm against the demonic world by putting on these pieces. And then he goes back again. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. And now here this morning, he gives us the manner in which we are to do all of that. By praying and watching. Or being alert, as your translation may say. Two things. Praying and watching. That's his whole package. You can study the Bible in its original languages as a professional who has a contract to write a a commentary on a New Testament book. 
You can study the Bible in its original as a pastor, week in and week out, in order to preach it to your people, and you could still be slaughtered on the spiritual battlefield. Because you don't pray. Because you don't consciously, day in and day out, seek to live in the presence of God. Because we don't cry out as desperate children in need of confessing tiny sins every day. Because we're so conscious of God's omniscience and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Because we don't intercede on behalf of others. We can have a tremendous amount of Bible knowledge. We can be clear, logical thinkers. You can be a person who is conversant with Western philosophical thought. You could argue people under the table concerning Christianity. But if you're not loving God expressed as childlike humility of dependence in prayer, you're doomed. You won't stand. The armor of God is absolutely necessary, but it's not sufficient. You must have truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the gospel of peace and the readiness of it. And you must have the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God in your mind and in your heart. Absolutely. But without prayer, your personal battle will be lost and your spiritual life will crumble. Unless God takes you out early it'll happen as a covering over all the pieces of armor here in this text now Paul says with that armor be praying continually pray and he's redundant the way he says it praying with all prayer and petition or supplication. Let's look at the first. He says pray with all prayer. And then he says supplication, which is a type of prayer. So what's he doing? This is, I just think Paul's general prayer, and we see him do this throughout his writings. He puts these kinds of words together. Prayer, and then he talks about kinds of prayer. Okay, so he means prayer in all kinds of prayer, even besides petition. For instance, you take how Jesus structured, hey, here's how you should pray. Our Father, hallowed be your name. There's a prayer. That's a prayer of God. Right now I'm concerned about your holiness being seen, being upheld in my life, in my church's life. Hallow your name. That's a prayer. Father, your kingdom. 
come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's a prayer. Father, let the reign of Jesus the King infiltrate the darkness here. There's a prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. There's a prayer. Do you mean it? We should mean it. I have food. Oh, I earned it. Only by the grace of God did you earn it. This is putting us in a position of reality. Yes, today, give us our daily bread. You give my hands the power to work, to make money, to feed myself and my family. And forgive us our debts. Even as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's a prayer of the confession of sin. Another kind of prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There's a prayer. Read the Psalms. Right? We read this morning. There's David. i got enemies. Satan is my enemy. Temptation is my enemy. My flesh is my enemy. Oh, God. Help me. And on and on. Just open up the Psalms. And you'll see all kinds of prayer. And Paul tells us, pray with all kinds of prayer. Secondly, notice, he says, praying in the Spirit. Now, numbers of us in here, I know that We were either raised in or we had been a part of charismatic and Pentecostal circles in our lives. And for many of us, the term pray in the Spirit or praying in the Spirit in those circles is synonymous with pray in tongues. In this context, Paul is not referring to praying in tongues. The reason I say that when he says pray in the Spirit, he's very clear also with the word supplication. God, do this, do that, and do the other thing. And then he tells us, supplicate God, ask God, constantly pray for other Christians. And for me, all of those prayers Paul is pointing to are known in our head, in our mind. They have content in our known language. So, pray in the Spirit about things that you understand of what you're praying about. So then, what's going on? What does he mean? Well, I think he means something like this. Pray in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Pray, in other words, by the direction of God, the Holy Spirit. I'm going to turn to a passage, somewhat of a strange passage, that Paul wrote in Romans 8 for a moment. Romans 8, starting with verse 26, Paul writes, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. One moment, Bob. Bob, turn that please. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray. Excuse me. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. 
But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. At least this means the Holy Spirit is involved in our, us, us Christians praying. In that, He prays for us. He intercedes. He knows everything that we don't know. He knows everything coming to us in life. He knows every thought of every one of us. And He joins us in our praying. And so Paul says here, pray in the Spirit. Okay, here's my shot. In other words, what you just read in Romans 8, pray that way. And what do you mean? Pray knowing what Paul just said. So often we do not know what to pray for. The Spirit does and He dwells in us. Know that. So as you pray, seek, trust the work of the Holy Spirit who's in you. Be wanting to be guided by Him in your praying. Now, we saw last week the Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture. Through men in different times and in different situations and languages, etc. Here's the flow of the text. Take up the sword of the Spirit praying in the Spirit. Which means go to the Word of God for one. Praying in the Spirit has to somehow include I'm praying in line with the Scripture. The Word of God. Take up the Word. Pray. And that means the Holy Spirit, no matter what we might think, I want to pray in the Spirit, will never lead you to pray against the revealed will of God in Scripture. In other words, example. (laughs) Here's an example of not praying in the Spirit. Lord, please help me. Protect me now as I burglarize that house. Okay? We giggle a little bit. Because we know how silly it is. The other one's not so silly to a lot of people. But it's not praying in the Spirit. Lord, I'm in love. So therefore, please bless me as I pursue marrying this unbeliever. Pray the Bible. Start with Paul's prayers. Pray the Psalms. Pray any prayer you can find. It starts to get a model and form your prayers in your own circumstances. But let me just go further. Say <coughs> so when he says pray, 
in the Spirit. Don't think he means mechanically, merely. There's the Bible. I should just pray some words from the Bible. No. I think he means more than merely reciting our prayer list of petitions. I think he means as you pray, seek to come under the influence of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Seek to be being moved by the Spirit. Every believer is born again, which means they are indwelt by God, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit imparts directions, impressions, desires. Where that come from? To pray for that person? To pray for that thing to happen or that thing to pray for that circumstance. I think he has in mind when he says, as you're praying, be open to that. Seek that. God's not distant. He's ever present to draw near to him. He will draw near to you. So praying in the Spirit involves... Being under the Spirit's direction. Which means you can't be praying in the Spirit while at the same time you are resisting the Holy Spirit. Doesn't it sound like a logical statement? Which <laughs> means you know that you're sinning and you're going to continue to sin and you don't want to turn away from it. You cannot be praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit is constantly with the prayer of confession and openness because God knows everything anyway. And pleading for His work is part and parcel of all the prayers we pray by the Holy Spirit. And if we don't, your prayers will not get further than the ceiling. God will make sure your prayers and your praying is hindered and you get drier and drier until you stop resisting. Alright, let me give you a text for that. In 1 Peter 3, Peter addresses husbands and essentially saying, treat your wife correctly in a right way, in a loving way, in an honorable way. Stop sinning against her. If you don't, well, let me just read it. Verse 7, 1 Peter 3. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they, your wives, are heirs with you of the grace of life. Why should we do that? Here's his answer. So that your prayers may not be hindered. The Christian prayer life is not meant to be some perfunctory, I went through my prayer list, I said my prayers, let's move on. I believe in prayer lists. They can be very helpful. But what he is driving at with prayer lists and without we all experience the blahs in prayer life. The God feels a million miles away, which really means I'm a million miles away, 
in my soul, experientially, toward God at the moment. And I need help. And Paul says, yeah, go for it. Pray. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Don't just pray. Don't just mouth words to a God up there. Pray by in the Holy Spirit. Okay. I, again, I think that might mean don't be content with an emotional and relational disconnect to God in your praying. Pray in the Spirit. But I feel disconnected. Then it's a good way to start. Wake me up, Father. I feel so dry right now. My mind is so scattered. Help me, Lord. Be urgent. Help me press in. Why are you not delightful to my taste buds? No. Help me. Your word says if I draw near to you, you will draw near. To me. I want your nearness, your closeness to me. And so we go there. And in all of our going there, go to the Word. Go to the objective written Word. You dry? Read it. Meditate upon it. Seriously. And then just see if after 23 minutes you don't find yourself praying before you even thought about praying. Be filled with the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit. John Bunyan, back in the 1600s, the author of The Pilgrim's Progress, concerning prayer wrote this prayer is a sincere sensible affectionate pouring out of the heart or the soul to God through Christ in the strength and the assistance of the Holy Spirit for such things as God has promised in the word of God for the good of the church with submission in faith to the will of God. I think he nailed it. Pray in the Spirit. We are to pursue praying in the direction, in the power, the influence of God, the Holy Spirit, coming in the midst of our praying. Next in your text. Along with praying in the Spirit, praying all kinds of prayers, thirdly, he says, praying at all times in the Spirit. The heck? How do you do that? I gotta sleep. I gotta work. You gotta have conversation with people, don't you? I think Paul would agree. See, I just I could say to you, look, Paul does not mean do not ever stop verbalizing prayers. And I think I would be right. And I think Paul would agree. For instance, I kick off weekend in football, okay? So if I say, keep running the football, 
Don't stop running the ball. Your offensive line is destroying them. Keep on. Don't pass. I don't mean that there are never breaks. I don't mean that the referee doesn't blow the whistle and reset the ball now. And you got 40 seconds now to get another play and line up and do it again. Okay? So Paul, he understands you got to sleep. There's a sense in which he's saying, your life, keep on, play after play, day after day. Keep running, keep praying in the Spirit. Be that kind of a person. Be a prayer. Now, okay, I don't think this is contradictory. I'm going to be open with you, okay, when I'm dealing with the text. But I do, I, I do not want to, I, I'm not at all confident, let me how I say it, that Paul doesn't mean something, though, though of course he obviously means that, but that he doesn't mean something deeper than that. Meaning, Yes, even though you're not praying a public prayer or in your prayer closet, I'm praying now. But that he means a kind of continuous praying, pushing us as believers in all of life to have a, an attitude of prayer. As if very different than I prayed over there. That's where I met God. By God, see you later. I will now go do life over here. I think he's probably challenging that kind of thinking. And he's pushing for a particular disposition of our hearts. Continually walking with God. Practicing the presence of God. In the supermarket, in the office, at home, in all the choices that we make. Because he does say a little bit differently in 1 Thessalonians 5. Pray without ceasing. Okay. Just again, it's just driving to walk with God while we're doing all of life. And... Doesn't made it right. Here, here's a non-biblical guy, but John Wesley, back in the 1700s, agrees with that. When he wrote concerning Christians who are prayers, he wrote this. The Christian's heart is ever lifted up to God at all times and in all places. In this, he, the believer, is never hindered, much less interrupted, by any person or thing. In retirement or company, in leisure, business, or conversation, his heart is ever with the Lord. Whether he lie down or rise up, God is in all his thoughts. He walks with God continually, having the loving eye of his mind still fixed upon him. And everywhere, seeing Him who is invisible. John Wesley. Pray in the Spirit with all kinds of prayers and petition. 
all times. And then Paul continues on in verse 18. To that end, and he uses praying, and here comes his other participle in the Greek. Praying and watching, or keeping alert. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, literally, and supplication for all the saints. So he says to us now in this praying, because he points it back to the praying, be alert, be watchful, with all perseverance on going praying with petition. Praying alertly or being watchful. Remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane to His close associates, His apostles? Watch and pray. Watch and pray. That's what Paul says here. And it's a military term. The soldier is on watch at night looking out for the enemy who might infiltrate the camp. Don't let it happen. Be watchful with supplication for all the saints. Be alert for enemy attacks of fellow soldiers. Or here, the saints, fellow Christians. Petition God, God, move, God, intervene, God, protect, God, cause him, her to repent, bring them back. That's what he calls us to. So, as you're on watch, do you ever see a fellow believer who's depressed and hurting, confused? Walking in sin, pulling away from God. Be alert, be watchful, and pray. Petition the Father on their behalf. This is a lifestyle. Because that's right, I get it right there. He says it, do this ongoingly. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, till you're dead. That's the word perseverance. With all perseverance. Be watchful, be alert to persevere in petitioning, asking of the Lord. Blessing, protection, all prayers. Now, first and foremost, I think it's obvious, and this is not sinful, any more than it's sinful when you're on an airplane and they say, Parents, please put the oxygen mask on yourself first before you put it on your children. So, first and foremost, in your prayers, you ought to pray for your heart, for yourself, for your protection. And then, as he says, for other believers here, the saints. I'm going to come back to that. Because that is the text here for a moment. But there's some this perseverance with all prayer. All prayer is going to include is you're praying for
for particular persons who are not saved. But God has put into your life and He's put them on your heart. So this persevering prayer for salvation of whom? Don't be general. Let's be really honest. Because God, I think, wants this. There are people in your life that you care about and very other few people in the world even know exist. That means you're called to pray for them. God has providentially put people in your life like a mom and a dad and siblings and children. You have particular heart, affection and care for those who are outside of Christ. And so, pray. Perseveringly pray. Petition the Lord on their behalf. This is really hard for me. I get weary and don't pray for people for very long periods of time. And so, in light of that, I need encouragement and hopefully you will feel encouraged by a short little story from Kent Hughes. He's retired pastor now. But he writes, One February... My wife and I vacationed with my brother and his wife in northern Maine. I had been praying for my brother for over 30 years since we were boys that he would come to know Christ and be born again. We journeyed to our snowbound vacation with great expectations which were not to be disappointed. The second night together, he broached the subject saying, in essence, let's talk about my soul. And all of us talked long into the night about our journeys to Christ. On the following morning, I said, I would like to talk some more about this. He replied that I was just about to suggest the same thing. We reviewed the essentials of the faith, then got on our knees together as he repented, asking Christ into his life. We stood and hugged and walked to the other end of the house where he announced, If I die tonight, I will beat you all there. Then embraced his lovely wife for several minutes while we stood around and wiped our tears. Thirty years of persevering prayer. And God through Paul here tells us to persevere. To keep on asking Him to act. Why? These things bug me sometimes. Why don't you just act after I ask you the first time? You're sovereign. Seems like it'd be a lot easier. What's the answer? The answer is because God's out for His glory. 
And God is more glorified in saving a person as a result of many people perseveringly praying for them than if He just did it. And so He has ordained the praying that He commands us to do. Or just say it another way, it seems that God delights to act and to save in response to faith-dependent, childlike request. Daddy, do it. Do it. I know I'm 20 years in. Do it. He delights in it. Now, I have an authority on it. I mean, I have Paul persevere. But here's a clearer statement of what I just said. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke 18, 1-7 we read. And then Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while, the judge refused. But afterward, he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord Jesus said, Listen to what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to His elect who cry to Him day and night? This is what He told them in order that they would always pray and keep praying and not lose heart. Persevering prayer. Paul says in verse 18, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, for all the Christians. So now, Paul is clearly here calling for intercessory prayer. We are called as Christians to stand between God and persons we're praying for, particularly here, other persons plucked out of darkness, put into His light, loving the same Christ, to pray for brothers and sisters in Christ, perseveringly. Why? Well, I think one clear reason is because what the Gospel is, and who God is, and from the foundation of the world, what He has been up to, He is building a church, He is building a body, He is building a people for all eternity. And in this life, like as we sit here hot 
And we sit here this week undone. We sit here having times of worship and times of confession. As we walk through this darkness, there's still something different about us. We have been born again. God lives in us in a way He did not before, savingly by the Spirit of Christ. And there's something about that. Whether you come from 180 degree different cultures that unite you together with another human being. This is how John speaks about this in 1 John. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Can that be? Whoever loves his brother, fellow Christians, abides in the light. For this is the message that we have heard from the beginning. That we should love one another as Christians, as believers. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born again. Has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. Paul realizes this dynamic of the body of Christ. Even as he says corporately, the church, if this goes to Ephesus, which it does, and it also does go into other churches, I think most likely, he's saying in the churches, all Christians, the ones around you there, but don't forget the, the church in Corinth. Don't forget the believers over here struggling. You know how many Christians' lives and houses and property are devastated last week in Houston area? Don't forget them. This is what he's calling for. Pray for the family of God. Now, and we do that, he do it publicly. But Jesus also talked about prayer closet. And so here's the question. Well, let me make a statement first, because we know this statement. What is done in secret shows where our hearts really are so the question is do you love fellow believers so much that you actually pray for them when no one's looking not merely text it I'm praying and forget. Do you pray and no one knows it? That's love. Praying for all the saints. And finally, we come to the last two verses of the body of this letter. And we will have one more sermon as he closes it. But Paul's in the flow of prayer. And he says in 19 and 20, And pray also for me, Paul. Pray this, the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in prison. 
in chains. Pray that, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Okay. Is he joking? <laughs> or is this false humility? Does Paul here really mean please petition the Lord so that I, Paul, don't fail to proclaim the Gospel with boldness? Does he mean it? When you read the book of Acts, you don't get the impression that Paul lacks boldness to preach. I mean, he preached in circumstances that was constantly a threat to his very life. Welfare, pocketbook, imprisonment. When he looks back on years of missionary journeys and cares for churches, this is how he sums it up. And you know it well from 2 Corinthians. Look, I have been in far more labors than many others. Far more imprisonments because of the gospel. Countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys. In danger from rivers. Danger from robbers. Danger from my own people. Danger from the Gentiles. Danger in the city. Danger in the wilderness. Danger at sea. Danger from false brothers. My goodness. In toil. In hardship. Through many a sleepless night. In hunger and thirst. And often without food. And cold. And exposure. Why? Because he went. And he was bold. Okay. So let's take the words here in Ephesians seriously. As you read, then, then he says, Please, please pray that I don't cower. But instead I preach like I'm supposed to preach. What's going on with him? As he calls himself an ambassador in chains, because he is locked up. He's in prison, his own rented quarters in Rome. He has been incarcerated for over two years straight now at this point as he writes this letter. And do you remember how Paul got there? He's on his way back to Judea after years of raising money and the Holy Spirit through many persons kept warning him if you go to Jerusalem some very bad things are going to happen to you. And he went boldly anyway. And while he's there he was in the temple and he was recognized from some who hated his guts and a mob formed and beat the living daylights out of him and almost killed him except for the secular Roman police who intervened and saved his life. And then he was bold enough, before you take me off the jail, let me talk to my fellow Jews in the temple here. And he preached. 
And then you know, as he's off to Caesarea, he preached in the courtroom of Felix. And then later, Agrippa. And he was bold to proclaim the gospel. And at the end of his, his testimony, when King Agrippa was there, Acts 26, here's Paul. King Agrippa, this is bold. Do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa interrupted him. (laughs) And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all in this room who hear me this day would become as I am a Christian, except for these chains. And of course, this led to Paul being shipped off to Rome to await trial before Caesar. So back to the question. Why is he asking for prayer? Look at his track record. Here's here's the only answer I've been able to come up with so far. And again, I love doing inductive Bible study. Ooh, I never thought of that. But if you got a better one, let me know. And it's this. It's because Paul knew that everything we just read in the past, in his whole life in the past, in his boldness in the past, was only because of the Lord's help that he was able to boldly preach and stand. He knew that in himself he is weak. And he would, left to himself, without these prayers being answered, he would cower in fear. He's weak. And as he wrote to us in 2 Corinthians, he learned a lesson. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. He wasn't afraid to admit his weakness. He knew him Self, apart from the grace and the working continuously in his life of God. And it was in that weakness then where the grace of God would manifest. And therefore, Paul ends it with, Please, please pray also for me. That words would be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains so that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Okay, so this is what I think is happening. He knows he's about to go before Caesar. And Caesar will either acquit him or condemn him. And he felt the flaming arrows of Satan in his ear. Paul, Paul, just just back off the truth a little bit when you're before the court. Because if you, if you do that, play nice. You'll gain f- favor. 
then you're going to gain freedom. They're not going to kill you if you just play nice. You don't stir the pot. Okay? But not only that, Paul, if you do that, you'll be more useful to the Lord. You'll get freed and you'll be able to reach so many more people for Jesus. So play it safe before Caesar. Paul feels it. He feels the flaming dart. And he adds, please pray for me. Pray that I won't hold back the whole truth, but that I would speak boldly as Jesus has called me to speak. He believes in prayer. What that means is he believes God is happy and pleased to respond and act based upon our praying. And so how about your battles on the spiritual battlefield of temptation? of laziness and sloth, of worldliness creeping in, of fear, of sin. Do you see your need to be prayed for by others? Paul did. And secondly, do you see the need that others, particularly other Christians, the need they have for you to pray for them. Persevere in praying. I'm going to close with an exhortation from John Piper from his book, Desiring God. Unless I'm badly mistaken, one of the main reasons so many of God's children don't have a significant life of prayer is not so much that we don't want to, but that we don't plan to. If you want to take a four-week vacation, you don't just get up one summer morning and say, Hey, let's go today. You won't have anything ready. You won't know where to go. Nothing has been planned. But that is how many of us treat prayer. We get up day after day and realize that significant times of prayer should be part of our life. But nothing's ever ready. We don't know where to go. Nothing's been planned. No time, no place, no procedure. And all we know, and we all know, that the opposite of planning is not a wonderful flow of deep, spontaneous experiences and prayer. The opposite of planning is the rut. If you don't plan a vacation, you will probably stay home and watch TV. The natural, unplanned flow of a spiritual life sinks 
to the lowest ebb of vitality. But there is a race to be run and a fight to be fought. If you want renewal in your life of prayer, you must plan to see it. And therefore, my simple exhortation is this. Let us take time this very day to rethink our priorities and how prayer fits in. Make some new resolve. Try some new venture with God. Set a time. Set a place. Choose a portion of Scripture to guide you. Don't be tyrannized by the press of busy days. We all need mid-course corrections. Make this a day of turning to prayer for the glory of God and for the fullness of your joy. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the presence of Your Spirit corporately in our midst this morning, in song, in prayer, in the Word, in our hearing, and in a few minutes in our partaking of the blood and the body of Christ, our Savior. You are good. And I beg of You, Father, I petition You to continue to work through the partaking of this holy communion together. Work prayer into our lives more and more. Make us urgent to be those who persevere and petition You who want to walk in Your presence day by day. In all we do and all we choose to the glory of Christ Jesus.